Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. I just cannot get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Does credit card debt ever end? Scoot. Maybe I can help. I sure hope so. We've tried everything. We've even taken out loans to make payments. Well, you're not alone. Did you know that countless Americans have debt they can't control? That's why I've created this unique new system called Stop Spending Money You Don't Have. Step one, stop spending money you don't have. That'll never work. Sure it will. Look at these satisfied customers. Stop spending money you don't have revolutionized my life and my budget. Now when I see a BMW commercial, I don't buy it. Crazy, I know, but it works. When I first tried stop spending, I was in debt up to my eyeballs. But now, the bill collectors have stopped calling and my water's back on. This looks expensive. Don't worry, we can use credit cards. Nope, stop spending money you don't have. I know, we could take out a second mortgage. No, no, I've got it. We both go down to the hospital right now and sell our organs. Great idea. Stop spending money you don't have. Available in hardcover and paperback. Well, good morning, Liquid Church. How you guys doing? Good morning. We're about to take out your Bibles. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. We are finally coming to the part of our series, Brand New You, where it gets really personal. We've talked about checking our baggage, that is asking God to heal those hurts, that uh, the burdens you carry around in your heart. Last week, Pastor Tom talked about renewing your mind, inviting God to transform the way we think and renew our mind with His truth this year. But today, we discuss paying our debts, and that's where it gets really personal, because it hits us right where it counts. In the wallet, right? In fact, what's in your wallet? That's what the Capital One commercial says. Actually, at this time of year, I should say, what's not in your wallet? Uh, it is January, and some of you are starting to get those Christmas bills. Your holiday hangover has arrived, and you're wondering how you're going to pay for it all. Uh, in terms of resolutions nationwide, you know, we talk about New Year's resolutions. The first one is losing weight. Number two is this is the year that I will get out of debt. I will get back in the black and lose the red. And uh, that's a challenging thing because we like to spend. I will admit this, I do, Colleen does. Um, we are good American consumers and we all have our vices. Confession time. Uh, I'll start with my wife, Colleen. Uh, if it is strappy, if it has a three-inch heel, she is powerless. So when she comes home, you know, with a bag from, uh, you know, the mall from Nordstrom's, I break out in a cold sweat. Uh, last year, I heard her talk so much about some guy named Jimmy Chu. Uh, I started thinking she was seeing someone behind my back. Uh, guys, you can ask your wives later. Um, I, on the other hand, am not so easily seduced. Strappy heels, whatever, shoes, nails, come on. I'm like, Colleen, you've got to get your mind on higher things. We serve a, a, a huge God. You've got to think big. So I go to Best Buy. And uh, I'll tell you something, 58-inch flat-screen Sony HD Megatron. Best Buy is like a crack den for someone like me. This is like, I think this is one of the main differences between men and women, in my opinion. You know, women, they kind of let their money kind of leak out. It's like a little here for a manicure, new outfit there, dinner out with the girls. They like leak money. Whereas men, you guys know, we go like underground. Nothing happens for like three or four months. We will wear the same socks with holes until they like actually disintegrate. But then... 
boom, we burst, right? Look out because we're going to get something. It's going to be shiny. It's going to be new and it's going to cost a lot. We blow it all at once, right? What do you mean you bought a pair of wave runners? They were on sale on eBay. You should have seen ski trip to Tahoe. We blow it big. And then we go underground again another few, few months. And then when the bills come, we do just like Adam did in Genesis 1. We said, well, it's the woman. The woman's fault here. Eve was at the mall. She's always there. Blame her, Capital One. But regardless of who's at issue, the truth is this. We are all complicit. We all have debts, and as Americans, it is right as rain to spend money that you don't have. Credit, debt, it's the American way, and we are the poorer for it. If you haven't done it yet, open up your Bible and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is our orienting scripture. I hope it's just going to open our eyes today how paying our debts is really a spiritual issue. And hopefully point a way forward for those of us interested in a financial makeover this year. Um, some of you guys know this. Jesus actually spoke more on the subject of money and our stuff than he did about heaven and hell combined. In other words, money, how we handle our finances, is a that big a deal in God's eyes. And here in 1 Timothy 6, Paul's writing to a young man named, anyone? Timothy, yeah. He is likely in his 20s or his 30s, and he gives them this key financial advice in verses 9 through 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Would you go ahead and circle that last word, grief? If I ask you to describe your financial condition right now, you may want to say, you know, good grief. It is, it is a source of grief or pain or heartache in your life. Uh, I saw some of you guys, the minute I wrote debt on the board, you're like, oh, for heaven's sakes, you want to walk right out of here. Well, then you need to know this. You are actually not alone if you feel grief about your finances and the debts you're carrying. And that's like good news and that's bad news. In fact, let me give you a two-question quiz just to show you how pervasive this is. Does anyone want to take a guess how much debt the average American carries at any time? 3,000, 5,000? Okay. The average American carries $8,100 in unpaid debt at any time. That's not mortgages. That's unsecured debt, like credit card debt. Just, just say, and you may be thinking, finally, I am above average when it comes to a subject in church, right? Look at me. Uh, you know, what's in your wallet? You know, probably a bunch of these if you are like me, you know. We've got Citibank, we've got Amex, Macy's, Capital One, all there. And, you know, you don't even need to have a job to get one. Maybe you got your first credit card in college. Um, Americans have more than one billion credit cards. Um, they always often say when it comes to money, there are two kinds of people, right? The haves and the have-nots. Enter a third. Those who have not paid for what they have. <laughs> um, maybe in college, you didn't have a job, you had no money, but you got to discover. And you started learning the first basic rule of money management. When that comes due, open up another one and shift it over here. And you learn credit card shuffling. Maybe that's kind of what you're doing right now. You're like, you've been looking in my house. Don't you know? We all have these, but catch it, less than 30% of us, the people in this room, would actually pay off our balances each month. And these companies, they dance. They don't mind because the entire business is based on bad faith. They hope you make the minimum monthly payment and even better, be late with it, which leads to our second quiz question. What activity will more Americans do in 2008? A, graduate from college. B, Declare bankruptcy. Choose B for bankruptcy. I know it's almost unbelievable, but more Americans in 2008 will declare bankruptcy 
than graduate from college. Last decade, more than one million Americans did so, three times as many the previous decade, and that's on the rise. Some of you are personally acquainted with this. Some of you are maybe teetering on the edge of it, maybe you have in your future. Spending, not saving, is part of what it means to be American. Um, on average, Americans actually only save 4% of their income. Contrast that like with the Japanese, they save an average of 16%. So consumer culture has something to do with it. But either way, it hurts. It can be a source of grief, of worry, of pain and frustration, as Paul puts it here. Go back to 1 Timothy 6, 9. Would you look at the phrases that Paul uses? He says, people who want to get rich, we might say people who want to use money to get, to get, to get stuff they don't uh, have money for, do what? They fall into temptation and a trap. Circle that word trap. I'm going to teach you a little Greek word here. There's pretty much nothing more ruinous or destructive than bankruptcy, financial ruin. But you don't have to be like a sucker or spend like a rock star to just kind of get sucked into that. See, the, Paul, the word Paul uses here for trap is the Greek word pagus. Let's all say pagus. And it's like a snare. And the idea is I want you to picture like a little noose kind of like buried under some leaves so that like when a rabbit or unsuspecting creature goes by, boom, the pagus snaps and they're trapped. And the idea is this, that by nature... We are prone to desire nice things for ourselves. And some of them are noble desires. Some are what Paul calls foolish. Some are helpful. Some are harmful. But when we see something we want, we are always tempted to figure out a way to get it. And that's a pagus, a trap, a snare. Not an obvious one, but subtle. Because on the surface, it doesn't appear to be treacherous, but underneath, it is designed to lead you to what Paul says, what? Ruin and destruction. Let me show you how it works. We will start with my, my baby, my precious. Guys, can we just have a moment, guys? Is she not gorgeous? Right? I mean, come on. You know. And I already had someone come up to me in the first service and say, dude, can I borrow that for the Super Bowl? And, uh, and the answer is no, get your own. This one is for church, Jesus business only. Uh, and uh, besides, I'm using it. So anyway, take this as a live example here, okay? You know it's coming up in two weeks, right? What? Big Sunday, right? Super Bowl. Go Big Blue. Go big blue, all right? Actually, let's take a minute. Lord, vanquish the pack, you know? Just get them today. But let's pretend this is the year, okay? The Giants make the Super Bowl. And you want to have some people over to watch the big game. Nothing wrong with that. So you're hanging out in the living room yesterday on the couch, just going through the circulars, you know, and your star ledger or whatever. And you come upon this. This is literally what I came upon yesterday. Just lay on the couch. Sony, it says, the perfect game plan like no other. 58-inch high-definition plasma TV. And you open this thing up and you look at it and it's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Sorry, Peyton, you ain't going to be in it this year. Uh, you know, and you're like, Eli, he's the man. And you look at this. And the thing is, you, it'd be like amazing because if you got this thing, you know how this would tweak your jerky brother-in-law if he saw this big TV in your house. And you're like, how much is it? And they're like, oh, forget it. Because this TV is $4,999.99. And you're like, I'm not a sucker. I'm not going to pay 5000 for a TV. But wait, what, what, what the... The Lord did hear my prayers. It's 1300 off this weekend only to prepare you for the big game. So you could literally get this thing for $36.99. It's actually and incredible. No interest. I mean, this is not a trap. No payments, right? So you're like, this is like, this is actually, I think I would be, I would be irresponsible not to do this. So, uh, so you go, you know, to Best Buy, you know, and, and, and you, you look at this thing. And, and by the way, the ad copy, let me just read this to you. Turn your living room into your own personal theater. 
with the Sony TH700 Thunders pick from Sony. 58 inches of 1080p glory, but watch out. The touchdowns may spill into your living room. (laughs) Glory indeed, right? Well, the ad says this. You don't have to make payments, no interest. And it's like, how could you resist as a Giants fan or just a man? And uh, you go on over to Best Buy, and it's great. It's crystal clear. And uh, you realize, though, it is more than you hoped. I mean, you've got maybe a couple grand saved up in, you know, close in, in, in your savings or something, and that's a lot, but it's sort of close. So you talk it through, but it's sweet, and you decide to get it. Husbands, maybe you know this one. You, right, you, call, your, you call your wives, and then you convince her it's a need, not a want, because you're like, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but the kids have been straining their eyes. This is like a safety issue. They sit so close. I care about them, you know? And you convince it. So you slip it by there and you head to the checkout. And there, the guy's like, okay, $36.99. Man, you got a great deal there. Now you're going to protect your investment, right? And you're like, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, what's it? What's your, okay, $749.99 will get you the three year that covers parts, warranty, labor, everything. I mean, you are a responsible guy. And you're like, well, yeah, it's about safety. So you do that. And, uh, and that actually moves your investment all the way up to, Forty-four ninety-eight, and now you're like, well, this is starting to creep up a little bit, and uh, and you keep going through that whole thing, and then you need, of course, you know, are you gonna, who could install this, Matt? Could you install this on your own wall? Of course not. So you got to bring out Best Buy for twenty-nine, you know, two hundred ninety-nine, and now it's starting to creep up some more, and you need the cords that go with it. Those are thirty-nine ninety-nine, and the bottom line is you're now at four thousand seven hundred and eighty-nine dollars and ninety-six cents, but you're like, but I'm getting all that free stuff with it, so it's a wash. Don't forget the sales tax, which is 7.25%. Grand total, $5,137, okay? And you got that, and you're like, well, I'm definitely going to be taking the deal. <laughs> no payments, no interest. I don't have to worry about it for a year. And you can almost t- taste the Super Bowl nachos as you sit and wait for the touchdowns of spell delivering. Now, check this out. The clerk hands you the bill, and you're kind of like, by the way, what is... What is this fine print here? I notice there's little gray writing at about font size two. Um, what is what is all that? He's like, oh, that's boilerplate stuff. That's standard. That like comes with anything. And uh, and you're like, all right. So you you sign the contract. Now here's the deal. This whole purchase on the surface seems pretty good. There's like, there's nothing treacherous. Eyes wide open. Nothing's going to plunge me into ruin and destruction. It's not a pogus, a trap. It's a, just a deal. I'm not going to pay for a year. No interest. What's the danger? In fact, I even went the extra mile and asked the store manager to read me the fine print. Deferred interest promotional offer details. Finance charges accrued from the date of purchase and all accrued finance charges for the entire promotional period will be added to your account if the purchase is not paid in full by the end of the promotional period or if you default under your credit card agreement. Making the minimum monthly payments will not pay off your promotional purchase in time and to avoid finance charges. Best Buy cards APR is up to 26.49%, but if your account has a variable APR, the APR is up to 32.24% and may vary. Now, I'm not much for the fine print myself, but if you don't pay attention to the fine print or make your initial payment on time, you're going to wish you had. I want to keep the math simple for you, so make four simple assumptions here. One, you have one year to pay it off. Two, there are no payments required during that 12-month period. Assumption three, if you don't pay it off by the end of the year, the interest rate is, as advertised in two-size font gray, 25%. So you take that baby home, isn't she beautiful? And for 12 months, you just enjoy that thing. The fourth assumption I want you to imagine is that that year goes by very quickly. And before you know it, 
5137 is due. And the problem is your checkbook is bare. This is 12 months later. And you remember that unexpected thing you had with the water heater, the, the tires thing with the car? And that two grand you had, that's all summer vacation. Guess what happens next moment? Something supernatural happens. Time actually goes backward. Because you failed to pay off the entire balance at the end of 12 months, the interest is calculated from the day you originally made the purchase. In other words, when the calendar hits 12 months in one hour, you now have a new balance of $6,421 that is being charged 25% every day from 12 months ago. Now track with me. If you make the minimum monthly payment from here on out, do you know how much you will wind up paying for this TV over the life of your good deal? $29,811. Cha-ching. I know. This is when we do what I call the one-handed clap. Oh. How many of you would buy a new TV for $29,000? That's the real cost of debt. In fact, when all is said and done, do you know how long it would take you to pay off your baby? The original $5,000? Answer, 55 years and seven months from the day you brought her home. In other words, many of you will likely be dead. <laughs> and you will carry that HD 1080p relic with you to the grave. People who want a lot of stuff fall into a pogus, a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. That's how you get into debt. If you've ever wondered, like Colleen and I have, how, how did we look at your finances and go, how did I get here? This is the pogus. This is the trap. Big ticket blunders. It's not just gadgets, you know, but, 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 you know, many of us strap ourselves with mortgages or car payments you really can't handle. It's just like the stuff of life, and it's a trap. It doesn't even have to be big ticket, by the way. I chose this baby, obviously, for us guys. Ladies, this can be a simple stream of, of you know, the extras, you know, constantly eating out, you know, new outfits, manis and petties here and there, all those disposables that leak in a steady trickle, but eventually pool up. And when they do, the result is what Paul calls ruin. Devastating. Some of you know what Paul's describing when he says that some people have pierced themselves with many griefs. Because carrying debt leads to heartache. It is a suffocating way to live. You may feel hopeless. Like, you're just like, I know, I will never get back to zero. You think about saving, you're like, you know, whatever. I mean, you know your kids are going to need to help for college or whatever, but it's like, what are we going to do? I don't need to just shove it out of your mind. The most bedrock verse about the ugly reality of debt is found in the book of wisdom in the Bible, Proverbs. Proverbs 22, 7 says this. Let's read it together. The borrower is servant to the lender. Go ahead and write that down in your notes. The borrower is a servant to the lender. That is the language of slavery. In other words, every time you sign up for any kind of debt, you are surrendering a huge piece of your freedom. You're giving it to a company or creditor that's going to be a taskmaster. They say jump, and you're like, well, how high? In preparation for this, I was watching this documentary. It's called Maxed Out. It's about the credit card industry. And it was amazing because I couldn't believe it. In the headquarters in Manhattan, credit card representative, they said, describe your best customer. And he looked into the camera, straight, straight face, said, our best customer is the person who doesn't pay their bill on time. So catch this. They're basing the entire business strategy on your inability to actually pay. 
to overestimate yourself and be irresponsible. And so the entire goal is to trap pods you in a cycle of indebtedness. And so you wind up serving Capital One rather than money serving us. See, folks, money is not the issue here. Money by itself is not bad. God actually gave it to us as a tool to provide for what we need. But Paul makes a very important distinction here in 1 Timothy. Look, you look at verse 10. What's he say? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money. The love of money. The love of our stuff and all that it, it brings. It's a root. It's a source of grief in our life. Remember Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. You will be a slave or a servant to one and you will wind up neglecting the other. You will pierce yourself with griefs and miss out on the life God designs you to enjoy. It's about slavery. I want you to think about the freedom that you give up. John Ortford wrote a helpful book on stewardship, just awesome. And, and you know, it's like, not only, think of the earning pressures. When you are nostril deep in debt, <laughs> any ripple or disruption in your income is like life-threatening because you better have two jobs and you never miss a day of work. If they talk about downsizing, you panic. There is not a lot of freedom in that. Debt undermines joy. You, you, some of you know this. It's like, how do you enjoy dinner out actually with friends or a weekend away with your family when you're in debt? Because somewhere deep in your conscience, you're like, I know we, I, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be buying that. Not in the financial condition we're in. And your marriage suffers because finances are a constant source of friction. Debt robs your joy. But most significantly, for a follower of Jesus Christ, debt erodes your capacity to be generous, giving opportunities. I want you to think about this. When you're in debt, it is almost impossible to be generous, even if you want to. So say a wonderful giving opportunity comes along, a chance to help a family member who's in trouble or a friend who needs a, a, you know, an assist or the poor or advance the cause of Christ in the world and your heart says, I would love to do that, but your wallet actually says, yeah, ain't there to give. It is a huge tension for a Christ follower to have a heart that's overflowing with compassion and a financial statement overflowing with debt. This really is, folks, why the devil takes MasterCard. You've heard me say that before. Because in the end, it's not about what's in your wallet, but what's in your heart. And if you have to give all your energies to money just so you can keep up with the Joneses, you can't follow Jesus. You, you can't give your heart to two masters. You can't experience the fruits of the Spirit when you're a slave to Citibank. So the question is, how do you find a way forward? Because Maybe at this moment, you're just even like, oh, for heavens, I'm out of here. This is, this, this is exactly, ah, I don't want to think about this. Is there a way to dig out? Folks, believe me, no matter where you are, you need to know this, Drea. God has more for you. There is a lighter way to live, one that is debt-free and honors God with our finances. God, we serve a God who knows something about paying debts, yes? It takes discipline, no matter how buried you are, no matter ho how hopeless it feels, there's a way out. But it's more than just like, I got to do better. Or I got to just stop spending. God provides a blueprint for financial recovery if you follow it. I want to give you today three basic principles that God highlights here in his word that you need to understand if you're really serious about paying your debts in 2008 and seeing a brand new you emerge financially this year. And the first actually is right here in 1 Timothy 6. If you actually look at verses 6 through 8, would you flip up there? Look, but godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul writes. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Let's read verse 8 together. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And the first thing you need to do is to recognize that debt is a spiritual issue. 
The Bible says that we accumulate debt, not because we lack money, but because we lack contentment. Contentment is a spiritual issue, and it's a difficult thing in our world. I know this. To be content or, or satisfied with what one has. It's the art of saying enough. Actually, what I, what I have is enough. The, the 22 inches is enough. I don't need 50. I don't need more to be happy. That's what so many of our big ticket blunders and impulse buys. You know, more often than not, it's more often than not, this stuff is not about the product, but about what it promises. See, if I have a big TV, then my buddies will be impressed. If I get a new outfit or look cute, I will be desirable to more guys. <laughs> if I enjoy the finer things, I will be a finer person. We use money and stuff to meet deeply spiritual needs that God never intended them to satisfy. It was St. Augustine, actually, who said that each of us has a, what he called a God-shaped hole in our hearts. That literally is God-shaped. God alone can fill it. But we spend a lifetime trying to fill that hole with all sorts of stuff, right? Relationships is one way. Sex, power, prestige. But money is the one that most often substitutes for significance. And the problem is that this hole is in the shape of God, not a flat screen, And so try as we might to kind of use physical stuff to bring lasting happiness. It never fills up. We're never content. At least until, well, the next sale comes along. (laughs) You know? But when we recognize, you know what? Wait. True contentment comes from the creator, not created things. From the giver, not the gifts in my life. From the giver, things start changing. Because the result is this, what Paul's referring to, this, this unshakable inner peace that pervades your spirit. We're no longer driven by greed. We actually have kind of a a spirit of gratitude. Hold on to things loosely. When we're content with what God's given us, the home we live in, the car we drive, the job we have, we actually stop craving more in the fever of buy now, pay later, breaks. But that's very difficult. That's why Paul tries reasoning with us. Look what he says. He says, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. If you drive down Route 10 or 287, you see a lot of fancy cars on the highway now, a lot of different models out there. Here's one you will never see, a hearse with a luggage rack. When J.P. Morgan died, it was asked, how much did he leave behind? He was a billionaire many times over. And the answer, all of it. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. So use your treasure wisely. Paul says, but if we have food and clothing, in other words, the basics, we will be, let's say the word together, content with that. Lack of contentment, this is very difficult for our generation in particular. See, from early on, we, 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 we learned that having our basic needs met is really not enough. We're not content with transportation because it is a lifestyle statement. And it better have the leather and the disc changer. And basics, DVD player for the kids. You know the basics. The line between needs and wants is very blurry for my generation. I remember when I first began um, expanding my understanding of the word need in middle school when I wanted parachute pants. You remember those? Remember parachute pants? But mom, I need a pair. Everyone has one. And she was like, no, your, your Levi's are fine. We're not paying $50 for a pair of nylon pants that make you look like a goofball. So I appealed to my dad, dad, I need those pants. And he corrected me. He goes, no, Tim, you want those pants. And I go, don't get all technical on me, you know, about word choice. But he's actually introducing me to the, the, the art of distinguishing between needs and wants. And Paul is saying here, he says, God provides the basics, our needs. You want the rest. And this is where our generation gets into trouble. Because even though we may trust God to provide our needs, we don't necessarily trust his timing. 
That's a big deal for a lot of us. We believe it's our right to have the same lifestyle as our parents do now, even though it took them 30 years to get there. (laughs) And we're in our 20s or 30s, but we believe we deserve that lifestyle now, and so we go into debt to make that happen. Lack of contentment with God, with his timing, it is a trust issue. So maybe you're just getting married. And you have, a, you have a natural desire for a new home. That's a, that's a fine desire. That is a good dream. But here's a question for you. Would you be willing to wait? Most of us are not. And it's devastating. Because when we allow ourselves to doubt God's goodness and his timing, we race ahead of him. And we stretch ourselves trying to buy something too soon or taking on a second mortgage that's way beyond our spendable income. And debt just snowballs. It's not about money, folks. Debt is a profoundly spiritual issue. At its core, do you believe God's given you enough and can you trust his timing? Contentment. Found in Christ first, stuff second. 1 Timothy 6.6. Let's read this together. It's right there underneath our first principle. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Would you write that down? You'll notice it says on your, in your notes here, it says memory verse. This will be our memory verse this week. This is 1 Timothy 6, 6. We are memorizing scripture this year as a church. We are hiding God's truth in our heart so it can shape a new way of thinking for us. But the first principle is that debt is a spiritual issue. Now, the second principle is the game changer, in my opinion, because when it comes to debt... The way in is the way out. Think about how you got into debt. You just realize it. You see it right here. It's like, holy smokes, it just snowballs. You can't keep up with minimum payments. It snowballs, and then you, you get buried alive. Now, if we go back to our baby, our little pogus here, our trap behind this big ticket blender, it was snowballing interest. That was a problem. Um, you are sunk because it's going to date back to the original purchase. The only way out is to snowball the other way. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I have taken a look into your checkbook. I asked God, would you give me a glimpse in to their credit card statements? That was supposed to be funny and no one's laughing. Wow. (laughs) Know how hard it cuts. If you took an average look at kind of, you know, people's, uh, you know, statements, you would see in the first column here, you got all these debts, right? Best Buy, you know, let's say I didn't get the TV. I got a laser printer. So 450 bucks. Macy's, you got 650. They're charging you 18, but your parents are charging you 0%, but you know, you owe them that 1600. Then you got that visa bill. You got a car. Maybe you have a school loan you've been carrying for a while. That's a, that's a low one there. And the thing is this. When you look at your debts and you see them and it all adds up, and you're like, how am I going to do this? You're tempted to make the minimum payments. And they don't ask for a lot. Macy's doesn't really want your money that much, even though they're like, we're going bankrupt. Not really. $30, please, here. $30 for your visa or whatever. Maybe you have to pay your parents back 200 or something. And so you make the bare minimums. If you made the minimum payments on these debts, you want to take a guess at how long it would actually take you? Oh, by the way, and stop spending. You may not buy anything, go on vacation. You can't buy gas. You have to walk to work. 120 months. That would be 10 years to your eye where you are a slave, you are a servant serving these debts. Ten years. I want you to show you something that could be life-changing for you. It will probably change generations to come. It is what Dave Ramsey calls the debt snowball. If you take this average, again, first, anyone in this room, you get this idea. You'll see the different businesses that you owe and the amount, but here's what I want you to think about. Minimum payments, these don't matter. They literally, it's just irrelevant. They don't matter. But 
if you take a moment and find $200 in your life, do you think you could find $200 somewhere? If you are able to find $200 a month, something amazing could happen because the way out is the way in. Some of you are like, well, where am I going to find $200 a month? If I have it, I'd be paying it off. I want you to think every morning. Think extras in your life. Every morning, you know that $5 a day Starbucks habit you have there, right? That whole thing. Over the course of a month, 30 times 5, what is that? $150 a month on renting coffee. You, You don't drink coffee. You know this. You rent coffee, you rent beer. You never can actually own them. Stop your rent deal habits first. Imagine that. Or you eat out once a week. $25, right? $25 over 40. $100 a month. Or maybe you, you know, you quit the gym, you know, you go there twice a month and you're like, you know what, I'll just run outside. Go run outside, get a coat, right? Cut your cable and then you're like, but what would I watch? I know, it's a sacrifice. But if you find $200 a month, the principle of the way in is the way out is an incredible thing. Because what you do is you take the minimum payment, in this case Best Buy, $50, and you add $200 to it and begin paying $250 a month. Just pay the minimum balance on the rest of it. Do you know how long it will take you to say bye-bye Best Buy? Eight weeks. Goodbye. Then you take, now you've been saving $250 a month. Then you take the minimum payment $30 at, let's go after Macy's, and you actually begin paying them $280 a month. Do you know how long it will take them to pay? Seven weeks. You begin snowballing it. You take the $200 to your, you give to your parents and mom and dad and you say, I'm going to actually add 280 to it. I'm going to give you 480 a month. And they're like, what are you doing for work? Is it illegal? You know, whatever. And say, no, I'm going after this thing. And that thing snowballs there. And you go all the way down. And the amazing thing is, as you cancel them off, one after the other, from least to most. Notice I'm not even going until the, the most to the very end there. As you begin adding and learning, you're retraining yourself to actually save, pay my debts first. What happens at the end is that you end up, once you've paid off that last $1,100 to school, the entire process will take you, anyone want to guess? 21 months. 99 months less than if you paid minimum. Less than two years. You've got 10 years to be a slave or less than two to be free. If you took $1,100, by the way, I'm going to bake your potato. Want to do it? I was like, I don't know how the crowd's going to handle this, but let's see. If you want to bake your potato, if you took that that $1,100, by the way, and then didn't just start spending it again, and you invested that, let's say you did $1,100, for that 99 months now that you're debt-free, do you know how much that would be over the course of 99 months in the black? $186,569.86. In the black. That's enough for about a garage in New Jersey. (laughs) Debt free. The way in is the way out. Interest buried you under. You'd have to snowball your way out or be buried alive forever. What I have just shown you is one of the strategies you will be introduced to in the course we teach known as Crown Financial. Crown Financial will teach you to handle money God's way. It is a Bible-based course because we believe debt is a spiritual issue. We believe your finances. Jesus said, where your heart is, where your money is, there your heart is also. 
And what Crown Financial does will renew your mind with truth and introduce you to scripture principles that lead towards financial freedom. And if you're new to our church, you need to know something. You're coming at an excellent time. Because sign-ups for these classes are happening right now. You actually just go online to liquidchurch.com. That's why we have all those laptops in the server there. But if you go over here to get involved, you know, we say find a friend. We've got groups and classes. What you will see there is an incredible listing. And you go onto life classes and you'll see all these different classes. Tom's going to bring up the menu here. We've talked about these, the different ones for inner heart healing, some for starting in your faith, growing deeper, Christianity 201. But Crown Financial... You'll notice we run two classes because it is always full. Because some people take it twice in a row because it has been that effective for them. See, when you turn to God's word for direction to guide your way out of debt, you will discover a way out because it's not just theory. At Crown, you will learn hands-on tools for managing your money God's way. I never learned how to make a budget in my entire life. I literally, it's it's not taught. Maybe you've never learned that. How do you actually even set up a debt repayment schedule? How do you start saving savings? What are savings? And actually set financial goals. The ultimate goal, folks, is freedom. Financial freedom and spiritual freedom. Because no longer will you be a servant to the lender. Folks, let's say it together. You are a servant of God, not of Citibank. You were meant to serve your creator, not created things. Money doesn't own us. God owns us. We don't serve money. Money serves us. Obey, behave. We serve God's kingdom. So maybe this is a next step for you this year. To go online and sign up for the Crown Financial class before they're full. Pastor Dave, actually, who has over 15 years of accounting experience, oversees these classes. You are in good hands. But you need a financial plan, not a resolution to just do better. Principle number two, the way in is the way out. Now, lastly, and I've saved the most important for last, is kind of counterintuitive. I don't know how you're going to hear this. Because if you want to get out of debt, and you better, you're like, well, I better pay off MasterCard as quick as I can. That's what you just illustrated, right? Wrong. You can have a great plan, and that's good. Planning is important. But if you don't have the right power behind that plan, it's worthless. And I'm not talking about your rich uncle. I'm talking about God himself. The truest of the truths I can tell you is this. God owns everything. That is his role in the universe. He's the owner, and we are stewards. In other words, it's all his, but out of his generosity, he entrusts us with some of his wealth to manage. And the number one principle of financial freedom is that you must pay God before man. And this is what's known as tithing. I will not go into great detail about this. We touched on it in our fall series called Margin. But the ancients had a spiritual practice known as tithing. Tithe literally means tenth. And it's returning a tenth of one's income back to God before you pay any, before you pay Uncle Sam, before you pay yourself, before you pay Nordstrom's, anybody, God gets it first. The Israelites actually returned 10% of whatever they, they had, you know, fruits or, or wheat or whatever their crops were, but they brought it back to their temple, the Jewish temple that had a storehouse on it. In other words, they returned to their church. And the principle of tithing is that God invites us to return a portion of our income to him by giving 10% to wherever you're fed spiritually. So if you're fed at another church spiritually, you tithe there. You bring 10% of your income. If you're fed spiritually here, you tithe here. But the idea, folks, is that when we tithe, it's literally our way of putting God first in our finances and actually make a confession saying, God, everything I have is yours. You have been incredibly generous to me. 
And I'm returning this little bit to you, not because you need it. It's all yours, 10%. But as a way of honoring you first in my finances. I don't come first. You know, uh, my wants don't come first. Macy's doesn't come first. You do. Thank you for entrusting me with 90% to meet my needs. But you get first crack. And so one of the ways we put money in its rightful place, we train it, is by bringing the first fruit 10% of our gross income to our local church. Now, here's the deal. This is not something pastors or churches made up to keep them in business. Because maybe you're hearing like, oh, sure, of course, pay the church, right? The tithe is not a religious tax like to keep the lights on. Like, oh, come on, guys, can you just give a little more? Help us. We need money. No. Nor is tithing a tip for a good service. Like, I like that second song they played. Here's a little extra. It's not a tip. (laughs) Tithing is God's idea. In Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10, God actually said to the Israelites, he said, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, the Lord said, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Strong language. Look what he says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, bring the storehouse was attached to that, the, the, the Jewish temple. It's where people got fed. So you return 10% to God's church where he feeds you spiritually before you pay MasterCard or Visa or even Uncle Sam gets a cut. You return it first to God. And if you're in debt, you may be at this moment going like, what? Are you serious? And you know what God says? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see, test me. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. In other words, God says, you want some power behind your plan? You want my blessing on your finances? Then prioritize me. Not because I need the money. I want your heart. And where your money goes, your heart follows. I want you to test my character and see if I won't provide to you. See, when my children give back to me first out of obedience, when they put my, my purposes above their own, then I take responsibility for their freedom as they sacrifice. I bless them extravagantly. Hear this. Sometimes materially, but often intangibly, maybe with a sense of contentment, or peace they've never experienced before. This is a challenge and a choice that God lays before his people here in Malachi. It's a challenge to test God and then a choice. Do you want to keep 100% for yourself? Because you can. Go for it. Cut me out of the picture. Or do you want to keep 90% and experience my blessing in your life? Actually invite my power into your situation. The choice of Malachi is between a blessing and a curse. And it's not that God curses us. But when you, God's like, when you cut me out of the picture, 100% do it your way, that's not something I can bless. <laughs> All right? Or you can keep 90%. Is 10% that important to you? <laughs> or invite my power into your life. Because I want to be involved in every area, not just this uh, little sections here and there. I want to be involved and bless you. Not because I need your money, but I want your heart. And where your money goes, your heart follows. Just see what happens. See if you won't have a sense of enough and you won't even actually be able to contain it all. Go back one slide there. This is amazing. You will not have room enough for in your life. You'll have a sense of overabundance. And this is counterintuitive to those of us who are struggling to get out of debt. Because I know, I talk, I know, guys, I know. I talk with many of you and it's like, you know, I'm so deep. The last thing I'm going to do is tithe as if it's about charity. 
It's not. It's about saying, all I have is yours, God. I am your steward and I need your power, especially because I'm in this hole and I've mismanaged your money. I mean, some of you know this. You, you've tried it. You've tried it your way. Let me just ask, how's that going for you? Is it working? I would ask you, can you really afford to keep doing it your way on your own? Or would you be finally willing to actually try it at least God's way, to honor him, test him, invite him in? Or does 10% mean that much to you because it's going to really do it? We pay God before ourselves or any man. That's the ordained order God sets in place. It's all his. And when we get the first fruit, it's worship. Those who worship the Lord, the Lord says, I'm going to bless with more. Why? Not because they're good, but I can trust them. When we introduced this concept of tithing last fall, an incredible thing happened. Um, Many of you took God up on his challenge, and you're continuing to do so. Uh, The results were incredible this past fall. I've received more emails on this topic than on sex and relationships and stuff. And it's amazing because they're not like, 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 oh my gosh, it was just a wonderful thing, and I got a Lexus. That's not the point. That's not it. In fact, most of the emails started out like this. This is such a mother. This is really hard to do this. To, I can't afford it. I had to go back in and reprioritize everything. I had to stop doing this because to give to God, this is going to be a stretch for us. This is, in other words, you had to start rethinking a new thought, retraining your habits, which is what tithing is. It's a discipline. But the end of the emails get to, I have never, I never would have imagined it would be this liberating. Because you know you live differently. When you retrain your heart to be generous to God first, to others first, the kingdom of God appears. As a church... Because we are becoming a tithing generous church, we were able to do something quite honestly miraculous. This Christmas, we were able to tithe as an entire church and give 10% this fall to single moms and adopt 25 families of the poverty level here in Morris County. We actually had not budgeted for it. We're a first year church. We had not any budget for it, but we're like, you know what, God, we're going to test you. We're going to take up the cause of the widow and the orphan first and believe, God, you're going to open the floodgates. And the incredible thing that happened was that we not only made our budget, but we were able to sponsor 25 families and tithe to other churches because that's what the kingdom of God is about. And when you prioritize his heart, what happens? All of a sudden, he starts moving on your behalf. He's like, you think I'm going to leave you hanging? That's my heart. I can trust you. You're my stewards. When you take that first crucial step, folks, invite God in your financial life, you have an important thing at work for you. You not only have a plan to be debt-free, you now have a power behind that plan. When we pay our debts to God first, he promises, I will help you pay your debts to men. But when we rob God to pay Visa, we rob ourselves of his blessing. In fact, it could be argued, without stepping on toes, that some of us are stuck in debt because we're not giving away enough in the first place. You've got to believe God will make good on his promise when you honor him with his first fruits. Test, don't take my word for it. I, you, some of you don't even know me. Don't take my word for it. Test God. <laughs> See if he is faithful to his word. Some of you um, had all sorts of good intentions, by the way, uh, of tithing last fall, um, but you never did. Um, I got that from a few people. So, you know, I just kind of want to wait for the new year. Um, so here we are. It's January. How's that going for you? <laughs> Making progress deeper in. If you're in deep, it's only getting deeper. Have you, even just, have you given God a try? What do, you, what do you have to lose? That's the best way I can put it. Even if you don't have faith, you're cynical. 
The best way to begin the discipline of tithing, by the way, is just kind of harnessing the power of automation. I know some of you guys do this. Um, but you know we have the, the online giving on our website, and you can go on there and use our, you know, it's very convenient, safe and secure, the server, you can give online. That's great. But here's the deal. On here, you can actually automate your tithing. That is, instead of getting your check and being tempted, this is what Colleen and I do. Because if it comes to us, we know we don't have enough discipline going out the window. Before Uncle Sam gets paid, before we get paid, before anything, it automatically, our tithe automatically goes to church. It's automatic. It's just like an automatic debit. And you can set for any amount you want, change it at any time, stop it, whatever. And all of our leadership, we've asked to get behind this. And um, I, I need to just kind of be totally, I would just want to be totally honest with you. This is embarrassing for us, but now we have some freedom. It would, I can tell you. Um, on a personal level, a few years ago, Colleen and I had over $10,000 in debt. It, is, it was very shameful for us. It was a huge source of embarrassment because we didn't have kids at the time and both of us were working. We're like, we have two incomes and we're, where is this coming from? What is happening here? And we started realizing, we started looking at Malachi, we were like, we're not being responsible stewards here. Something's got to change. And so we said, but to get out of debt, first we've got to pay God. And we started tithing on our gross income. And it was hard. There were many things we gave up. <laughs> it was the exact year we also got out of debt in 12 months. Over $10,000 wiped out. I cannot tell you to this day how that happened. I'm not smart enough to do it. Spiritual mathematics. What's incredible is that it's only increased our ability to give as God's blessed us. Um, those of you who do tithe, Pastor Dave is sending out your giving statements this week. He gave me mine on Friday because I you know, just looked over the cubicle and handed me mine there. And I brought this thing home, and Colleen and I, we were shocked. Colleen opened up and she goes, this isn't right. You've got to talk to Dave. Somehow this year, God enabled us to give close to 15% of both our incomes. We just, as God kept blessing us, we're like, well, just let's just increase it a little bit more. We literally couldn't believe it. This is not like, yay, me. I have no credit. It's snowballing the other way. Why? Who's responsible? Us? Please. Tithing is more than acknowledging God. It's inviting his power into your life. All right? We could not believe this. And Colleen was like, if we didn't give this, she goes, where do you think it would have gone? <laughs> I was like, Wendy's, movies, you know, dinner out, down the toilet. When you begin tithing, you know what you actually have to ask? The first question is, how in the world am I going to do this? And the answer is, only with God's help. He has to show up. Test him. This is the surface, folks. But you've got two next steps to consider today if you're serious about a brand new you financially. First is to sign up for Crown Financial. There is power in community. You need to know this, by the way. You are not alone. <laughs> you don't need to feel ashamed. This is not a dirty little secret. We are here to learn together. But be encouraged. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. It is possible you are not without hope. Not when God is behind you. The second is you need to consider tithing. Even if you're unsure or cynical, why not take God's word? You've tried everything else. 100% your way, 90% his way. Debt is a profoundly spiritual issue. Never forget, liquid, church family, we serve a God who knows a thing or two about the power of canceling debts, yes? God is generous. He is a giver. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son, Jesus who died on a cross in our place to 
pay the price. Think of the language that's used, right? Jesus canceled our debts with his substitutionary death on the cross. Why? So that we might be free. No longer in bondage, no longer a slave or to any man or being, no longer a servant. We are servants of God. Live free. It is true freedom. It is the power of eternal life. It is simple trust in Jesus' free gift. And that life starts today. I hope it will for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We thank you. Lord, we are here today without shame, Lord. We don't have to grovel before you, Lord, if we've mismanaged your funds, what you've given us, God. We just, we thank you that you're a God of grace, Lord. You give us the biggest grace period ever, Father. And you have canceled our debts by the death of your son, Jesus. And now you've raised us to new life with his spirit. So drop the blinders that we have, Father. Lord, where we've been self-centered, where we've not, where we've mishandled your kingdom resources improperly. Lord, forgive us, but now, Lord, free us. Every man and woman, God, I pray that you're going to help them this year, Lord, that something new is going to blow into their life, and this would be the year that they experience for the first time the freedom that you destined them for, God. By your Spirit, in your power, Lord, we go after this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.